disruption isn't about technology enabling something. Disruption is a mindset. It's the ability to recognize what needs to change in the status quo and then go about taking an action that requires you to be vulnerable to know that you don't know what you don't know. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and uh, welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today we're talking about a big market disruption that uh, has has taken place uh, and we're talking with Matthew Jackson to share the inside story on uh, on this particular uh, disruption. Uh, welcome along to the show. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. Look, this is a, a, a really interesting uh, story we're going to be talking about. Netflix, ultra-fast broadband, uh, Sky TV and the disruption that um, you were involved in with with your company, uh, Global Mode, a, a service that at one time was was basically the the main way that you could get access to the latest and greatest streaming content in New Zealand. So yeah, really exciting to um, to delve into that uh, today. Um, before we start, a big thank you to our show partners to One uh, NZ, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology. But without further ado, let's jump in. Tell people a little bit about yourself. Uh, what's your What's your background? How did you get involved in the big wide world of, of tech? <laughs> well, Paul, first let me say thank you very much for having me here today. You know, I've been a big fan of the podcast for some time now. Uh, how did I get into tech? Honestly, my mother got me onto the internet when I was 12 years old. I lived in the States. And so if it wasn't for her lifelong passion for education, I wouldn't be doing the work that I do now. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Mum. Yeah, thanks, Mum, for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. wasn't particularly fond of high school at the time. Uh, left and uh, she said, well, you can go to university. I said, really? What would I study? And she said, well, just pick the things that you like. And I, you know, I chose international business, marketing and management systems. And, and to be honest, to this day, I still do the same work. That's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, I mean, certainly for for you know, myself, my mother played a, an important role, especially in terms of providing access to technology that as a youngster I certainly wouldn't have been able to afford myself. So uh. The question you're probably asking me is, what is my day job? I guess my background is in disruption. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, now I'm the co-founder of Elementary Systems. We take poo and turn it into jet fuel. I'm also an Edmund Hillary Fellow, and I got into the Edmund Hillary Fellowship because I figured out how to make primary health care available for free in New Zealand. And I've been a judge of the NZ Compare Broadband and Energy Awards for the last five years. So really proud of that work as well, helping kind of shape what our, what our new energy and, and telecommunications need, systems need to look like. Uh, I guess this year we were really proud to win the Orion Energy Awards for both Impact and People's Choice and was one of 4% of people that were awarded a grant from Akina to structure our company for Impact this year. So yeah, there's a bit of a mouthful there, but at its core, you know, just a Kiwi lad, you know, called Matthew Jackson, Toko Ingema, or Waihara Keke Eti Waipunama. I was born in Blenheim in the South Island, and, you know, you know, I truly love this country and want to see it be a better place. That's what we like to hear. That's that's awesome. Well, yeah, it is great to finally get to, to sit down and to, um, you know, hear some of the story because, you know, when we, when we, when we look back, uh, you know, look back to the, 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 the very early days of the New Zealand Tech podcast and, and I guess, you know, uh, prior to, to the show, 
launching, and we, we launched, you know, beginning of 2011, um, we, you know, we were we were in a time that's very, very different to what we have available to us today in terms of the technologies, in terms of what entertainment, you know, looked like. If you wanted to really see what was going on, you had to, you know, jump on a plane and, and you know, fly to the United States or somewhere else in the world, uh, you know, in, in many regards to, uh, to see what the, the latest and greatest looks, looked like. Um, but a lot has changed since then. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really interested to, uh, to hear about Global Mode. M- maybe you can, um, you know, start with a little, uh, a little bit of a, a background on, uh, on how this business, uh, you know, came about and what were the challenges uh, as you saw them that, that existed at that time. New Zealand has always kind of been an afterthought for world markets, you know, one of the things that exists in New Zealand is uh, parallel importing. It's the reason we have the warehouse. And, you know, there's parts of our legislation for copyright at the time allowed us to import international DVD players and play out-of-zone DVDs. And the reason for that is we weren't, we weren't a market that was large enough for people to want to play in. The way that the internet was built was it was designed to be open, but geographic restrictions were put in place, which meant that we weren't getting streaming services direct to New Zealand because we didn't have fibre. Now, you know, we know that you can get Disney on demand. You know, you can't in New Zealand still get Paramount content, uh, HBO Go, but it, it really didn't stop TVNZ, you know, telling everybody at the time, if you use global mode, you could see Game of Thrones in real time. But the reality is, is we were pirating a lot of content because we couldn't buy it easily. Yeah, look, as Kiwis... We don't see that so much now, and we, we you know, can delve into some some of those reasons. But it was just so so commonplace uh, for hard drives to be getting sort of shipped around between individuals with just sharing these huge libraries of content, right? Mm-hmm. And with zero dollars, kind of cha- you know cha- changing hands, and in, in most cases um, for them, because yeah, there was no way to stream them, um, and of course. You know, we're in that incredible position as a country where some very smart decisions were made about rolling out fiber mm. around the country. Um, you know, and that that that, uh, that has been an absolute game changer for New Zealand. And you know, still to this day, we are regularly having discussions around the state of broadband. Uh, you know, for our our neighbours in Australia. And the the shambles that that is compared to the state that we are at in New Zealand, uh, and of course that continues to change and and disruption continues to occur uh, in that space with with what's going on from a you know a satellite perspective as well as fibre having got out a lot more broadly you know four G and five G, um, but yeah was moving around of you know hard drives what were the what were the other I mean what did what did you see what did what did your media consumption kind of you know look like in those in those earlier days and and for your friends how did you operate well I actually started my career at um, BCL which was the state-owned enterprise which was split from TVNZ and I, a lot of the time I spent telling my colleagues that over the top services and application layer was where it's going to be and you know at its core of it why is why is this conversation still relevant is is that disruption is occurring all around us all the time we're just often not aware of it and i think 
why I reached out to you and said, hey, look, we should probably have this conversation is that we're going through a state of constant disruption now when it comes to climate change. And we went through a state of disruption when it came to COVID. And I saw too many people talking about disruption without actually really knowing what it was, you know. So at the time, what we had was Sky Television that had 600,000 installed satellite dishes and we had Spark, thank you for sponsoring, of course, uh, that had a fibre, has a copper a copper network. And if we didn't have fibre, we would have been completely screwed during the pandemic. There would be, there'd be really no ability to, to work from home. In my house, uh, we have two fibre connections coming in and a corporate network that's got 18 radios. The internet is that important for our work. We can't have it go down. So, you know, we really didn't have the, we didn't have the environment that was going to facilitate that that uptake of internet because the real reason for us to put fiber on at home at the time was to get a high definition content stream and it wasn't being provided by a local market yeah there was nowhere you could there you know netflix wasn't available in the local market and when we did start seeing you know offerings like quickflix they were they were very you know very limited very light uh, you know there certainly wasn't the the 4K, you know, content streams and 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 so on, right? It was uh, it was a real challenge, and really the only the only way. And I know we had these conversations, you know, many time many times on the New Zealand Tech Podcast, uh, in you know, in those days was you know what by uh, basically making it look as though you were sitting somewhere else in the world, and you know, of course, fiber was was you know a pretty key part of the picture and and some of the faster um, you know VDSL type connections and so on that could give us you know a speed that would mean that you could stream really good content but the problem was if it looked as though you were in New Zealand you were blocked from Netflix and pretty much every other uh, service that was a, that was available and look, you know, I guess I've I've known people involved in varying parts of the the creative sectors for mm. you know most of my life. So you know, to me, the idea of having a lot of content on a on a hard drive just didn't kind of sit right because I would know you know whether it was music or a movie and TV content, you know, just kind of like oh, that's a real slap in the face to those people I know that are working really hard to you know to produce. Uh, you know, great, great content. Mm. Whether it's the musicians or the movie makers and so on, and and so um, you know, it 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 seemed like, hey, if you can subscribe and pay for that content uh, and appear as though you're sitting in another in another part of the world, um, that seemed to really be kind of the only viable uh, option, other than sitting and hoping and waiting for uh, you know for some official local options to to appear which obviously, you know, it took quite a long time to come. Well, most of the content that's available still isn't here. Um, when when Netflix launched, uh, people could toggle between New Zealand Netflix and US Netflix. And the catalogue in America was 20,000 uh, 20, titles, where in New Zealand it was between four to 5,000. It was tiny, wasn't it? It was, yeah. it, it, it was yeah. tiny, you know. And, um, you know, when you when you consider the impact that, you know, accessing a paid streaming option had on New Zealand is, uh, and I can only talk, you know, about the numbers that are that I heard from hearsay because, mm. you know, mm. we plugged our technology into broadband providers. It's the first time in the world that anybody had 
built a wholesale system that was used by multiple providers. And I don't think to this day anybody else has ever built one. But we saw pirating traffic stay the same on our providers' networks. But what we saw is a, a massive increase, nearly a doubling of internet traffic occurring as people changed their behavior. So, you know, the core of our technology was all around enabling what we call that, you know, the adoption curve. If you think about geo-unblocking technology, at the time you had to download a VPN, which would constrain your high-definition traffic. You had to change your DNS settings. It's the most painful process to try to use a third-party DNS server. Not uh, not really something for your non-technical, you know, just it's general... In- it's yeah, a settings people, thing. I, You've got yeah. to have an app. You change this. I'm technical. My wife is a former reform software developer. It's it's a difficult process. So when you want to put high definition definition TV to you know high definition television directly into the home and have it at the big screen, that's what our that's what our technology was dissolved to to do. Um, we had to break the system in order to make it work, but the intention was to bring high definition television into the home so that people would use fiber. And so, how how did that actually play out? How did you how did you get get started initially? Well, I mean, like any origin story, it's you know in some kitsch little coffee shop off the side of Queen Street. <laughs> you know, we weren't the original people that had the idea. If you recall, there was a company called Maxnet, which was eventually acquired, I think, in the Vocus um, tie up, and they'd launched Global Mode and had shut it down a week later due to legal reasons. I mean, they'd been acquired by a low-risk company from Australia. Um, and at the time, Slingshot went, hmm, we, would, we think that would be kind of interesting to, to change and shake up the, the market. But they asked Unblock Us US for a price, and uh, it was $2.50 a user. So they needed a, a solution that was a bit more cost-effective. Uh, we could bring the technology, if we plugged it directly into the, into the, into the network, down to around, I think, $0.03 cents per user. So pretty cost effective as a cost base. From there, obviously, we had to put a margin in. We didn't really know the value of the product at the time, but when I was brought in, they were like, I said, what do you want me to what do you want me to do? And they said, Well, we need a sales guy. And I said, Well, what's it worth? And they said, We don't know. And we made up the price because price is utility plus, you know, scarcity. So we put a price on it of 45 cents. I wasn't to know that actually it would reduce the cost of acquisition for a broadband customer by nearly 90%. So we really didn't understand the value of what we were what we mm, were providing at the time. Mm, mm. Wow. So getting that getting that uh, that first, you know, bit of business and you know actually building building the offering. Mm-hmm. How challenging was that? Look at the time it was vaporware. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it was a matter of have we had a trust I mean, the only reason we were able to launch the business is that the senior executive team at Slingshot trusted my business partner. They trusted his ability to build this technology at a very high competent level. And so that's the only reason that we had the business in in the first place. Um, From there, we had to build the company. And that meant, you know, creating exclusive contracts. And, you know, we, we launched the, well, Slingshot launched the service. Uh, as an offer for overseas customers, and within three days they had fifteen hundred users turn it on. So there was a demand that was not being met for the service. You know, you know there was a cautious approach that was taken, and when it was 
eventually launched, we had 5,000 users turn it on within three weeks. Mm. So a very mm. quick uptake. Yep. And so what did it look like for those those users? What 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 were they getting? And obviously it was a it was a pretty easy thing to pitch if it was uh, making it very very easy for them to uh, for Slingshot to acquire new customers. Well, the biggest barrier for technology uptake is education. And so unlike a DNS service or a VPN service, the internet was transparent. You just used your internet the way it was designed. You could log on to Netflix from your browser and you would it would be available like like we're in New Zealand. But at the same time, you could log on to TVNZ. You weren't restricted from accessing New Zealand content. It's just the internet was transparent to you and you didn't have to be a technical user. Whereas if you were logging in without the global mode service, you went to the Netflix website, it basically tell you it wasn't available in the in this country, right? Whereas you, yeah. were, you were able to go in, set up an account, and away you go. Correct. I'm just trying to remember my memory's a little bit hazy because uh, it is going back a few years, but uh, was it reasonably hard to sign up for Netflix? Did you have to use a certain credit card or give a US address or or something, or was that side actually pretty pretty seamless? So at the time, Netflix had no problem with international users. In right. fact, the, the data is that one in nine internet users around the world is seen as a US internet user, right? right? So effectively, there was no barrier to signing up using any credit card at the time because of the fact that it was they were looking to grow. Mm-hmm. They were looking to become worldwide. And if you recall later on, they globally whitelisted 178 countries in one night. So, you know, you know, I don't think there's really ever been a barrier to signing up for a streaming service. Um, the barrier was to actually have the tech, have the technical knowledge to be able to access them, you know? Yep. yep. And, um, yeah, what, what happened next? So we, after we launched exclusively with Slingshot, we went and then brought on nearly 17 other telecommunications companies to use the service. Um, you know, it, it operated in a grey area of law and part of disruption is that you are going to challenge the status quo. It means that you're going to have two sides of the story. We we relied on the fact that we were using parallel import law. So the ability to, for there not to be an exclusive distribution, to, distribution agreement in New Zealand or the copyright legislation at the time, which is now changed, but allowed a user to remove a geo-prevention measure, which means that you could basically use an out-of-zone DVD player. You know, our the media companies that, that sued us, uh, they their view was that we breached their copyright, which was a, an exclusive distribution agreement. So whenever you're looking at creating system-level change uh, or causing a disruption, not everybody's going to agree with it. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And and look, I think there's there's... There's all sorts of um, you know, other examples of, of the challenges of, of uh, disruption and of the impact that, that it can cause, right? And, um, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, how many sort of scenarios where there have been legal challenges as part of the mix, but, yeah, I mean, certainly uh, we look at Uber uh, they seem to fly very, very close to the sun, as it were, uh, from from that perspective. Now, their 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 intentions, 
um, probably somewhat different from yours, I would I would say. And, and although you know it does certainly carry, you know we see these hallmarks of uh, having to having to do things that are going to cause some discomfort, you know, legally or or otherwise when it comes to um, disruption. Mostly, mostly in the work that I do, we're we are looking eight, ten, sometimes fifteen years out. So often the law hasn't been written for the type of work that we want to do. Uh, what we're trying to do is interpret a new a new system based on current legislation, and then trying to apply those principles to understand how that will work. So. Often the laws don't exist for the type of work that I would do. The policies exist and the intention does, but not the legislation. So a traditional organisation won't often allow chaos, what I call disruption to occur because disruption usually comes from chaos. That's where, the, that's where novel things emerge. If we're not looking to change the status quo and we're trying to use the existing regulatory environment to maintain a status quo, then we're probably in a position where we're going to be, uh, you know, like the Kodak of our industry, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I see the same thing happening at the moment when it comes to climate change and emissions, whether it comes to fossil fuel businesses or the dairy industry, there's a lot of, we need to maintain the status quo conversation that's occurring at the moment. And with that, you really miss the opportunity for the change that could occur. Yeah, it's challenging, isn't it? Because... (laughs) The change, you know, often so often change does need to occur. Uh, very, very hard when it's it's one of those scenarios where you know you potentially disrupt yourself. And you know, I spent a fair bit of time, um, you know, looking into into some of the Kodak story. Um, I, I spent uh, some time um, with the inventor of the digital camera from uh, Kodak, uh, Steve uh, Sasson. Um, in um, um, upstate, you know, New York, Rochester, where, where Kodak were based, and and um, and with some others there, um, and yeah, the interesting thing around the Kodak story was they were trying so hard to figure out the future, yeah. and 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 yet, you know, they got completely crushed by it. Um, so these things are, you know, are, are always kind of easier said than done, I suppose, to uh, to get. To get the great uh, to get the great outcomes, and certainly in in their case, which I think is common as well, when it when it comes to disruptive uh, technologies, I mean, you know, part of the disruption is to the existing business, and that's that's not a very easy thing to go through, right? And you know, I, rem- I remember um, talking a, l- a little bit about uh, Sky TV through, you know, in the in the media. Um, during you know during part of this this period of time over the last uh, you know decade, and it's not too often that I you know feel comfortable being you know being critical of of businesses or or or, or their leadership because you know look I'm just sitting on the I'm sitting on the sidelines on most of these things right yeah. and and you know I don't have I don't have you know that much skin skin in the game yes as a consumer and 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 so on. And it's really easy to look at other people and say, oh, you know, 
I could do that better or they're doing it wrong. You know, in the in the same way, you you know, you look at what the All Black select, who the All Black selectors have picked, and you know, a, you know, a lot of us like to sort of get it, get involved, and and say, oh, the team should be this way or that way, and and so on, right? So, um, yeah, I'm reasonably cautious about that, but I, you know, there was a there was a period there where, you know, I think I got I got, uh, I, I got yeah, you know, somewhat frust- frustrated with uh, with with Sky's approach to things uh, under the leadership of. Of uh, of John Fallot. So anyway, get, going back to uh, back back to the the story here, um, what actually happened from a from a legal um, you know from a legal standpoint? You had you know all these internet service providers uh, signed up. Uh, you had uh, people enjoying uh, access to you know content that they were paying paying for. Uh, yeah, l- largely I'm 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 picking. Um, yeah, and without, uh, and then kind of the hammer came down, right? <laughs> <laughs> look, we there was only I think there were, look we made mistakes. Like like don't get me wrong, there was one point in time where we broke Sony's network, and I was on a taking a call uh, because a couple of smart TVs had been returned to Noel Emings and, oh, no. and, and New Market, and the, you know the one consistent thing was that they were all slingshot users. So you know we that that that, that kind of thing's going to happen, but you have to get in and, and resolve them. Um, you know, and look, I do tend to say that disruption happens to an industry from the outside. Okay, uh, I don't traditionally believe that organisations are willing to create the environment that allows the chaos for novel emergence, novel situations to emerge. Um, you know, startups face significant constraints of capital, and as a result, they have to think differently. Mm, it's mm. It's very different from a senior executive, you know, he's he's got to a position where he's overseeing a budget and, you know, he's adopted a new agility mindset and trained all those people in it and gone, yes, we're innovation. You know, I, I truly don't believe people can call themselves innovative. Um, and I know that, you know, what we did during that period of time, it caused nearly $2.1 billion of collapse in Sky's share price. Uh, that's a significant impact. And in hindsight, I can see that had a really negative impact on a lot of mum and dad shareholders that held stock in that company. And so disruption can have a really negative impact on on people that where there are unintended consequences. So, you know, what really happened is that um, over a period of time, the media companies had they'd played their cards to try to get, you know, the rhetoric changed in the media and with government. And eventually, you know, on Easter weekend, we were served documents at four o'clock, having a barbecue with the team and had the head lawyer show up at the door saying, hey, you're going to court. And, you know, that night on television, <laughs> you know, Kevin Kendrick saying, hey, look, you know, this is what's going on and just getting caught completely by surprise. Right. He's yeah. the uh, chief executive at, uh, T- at TVNZ Tele- at the Television time. New yeah. Zealand, right? Yeah. Now, so we were caught off guard. We were, na- I'll be honest with you, we were really naive. Uh, and I had no idea what to do. You know, the real story is we got all of the internet providers into a room and you can imagine the traditional competitors, it's uh, – Nobody in the everybody in the room is vehemently like competing with each other for that 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 broadband customer, but all in the same room because at that point in time the the competition was the media industry. Yeah, and so yeah. you know we had 
I'd, you know, we got back to the office that, that morning. We had looked at everything we could do, and we had no answer to this. You know, uh, I had a letter that said we were going to turn the network off. We had the right with all of our customers. You know, it's a grey area of law. We had the right to turn the network off without any reason. And so we'd written a letter saying to everybody that we were going to turn the network off. We didn't have the resources to fight this. And it had a really out-of-body experience where actually the whole situation was taken off of our hands. Something that we stood for and we believed in was no longer ours. And it was, you know, Taryn Hamilton, I think, GM of Slingshot at the time, now at Two Degrees, who stood up and said, actually, we're not going to take this. We're going to fight this. This is not how we get treated. And really that 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 spirit of innovation that sits inside of telecommunications, the telecommunications industry, like we're here together, really just took over. And I just remember going, wow, this is no longer ours. Um, we ended up putting $100,000 into a media budget to create a whole series of memes to take the, take the piss out of Sky TV and TVNZ. And honestly, three days later, uh, Malcolm Dick sold you know, uh, Vocus to, I sold um, M2 to Vocus or can't even remember, can't remember which companies there were because there's that, that many acquisitions at the time. Yeah, but yeah, the, sold. the yeah. whole thing went away because the, not because of the fact that we went to court to debate whether the copyright law was just or not, it's because of the fact that the business got sold. And in our back-to-back agreements, we, you know, Malcolm had the right to turn the network off. He didn't have to operate it. He didn't need to hold a lawsuit for a company he didn't own. And so the whole thing went away quietly, just as the media companies would have liked to see. And, you know, when you when you look at that, you mentioned sort of 17 internet service providers. So, you know, what became Vocus and and, and now, you know, merged into into two degrees, were their brands a pretty big, pretty big chunk of that for you? That was kind of the key part of it? Yeah, we we had I think eighty percent of our revenue was with Slingshot. Mm, you know, mm, mm. we were in the process of trying to expand the business into Europe and reinvent our technology to become globally scalable. But without that core client, there was really going to be no there was really been no reason for it to move forward. If you think now, we have easily ten streaming options that are available. The product had a useful life cycle, and it it had came to an end in the way that it needed to. And when we look at Sky, I guess they were the one, that, you know, Sky and their shareholders had the most to lose, right? We'd been in this position here in New Zealand where if you wanted content, mm-hmm. yeah, premium content, content without ads, obviously there's there's a level of, of you know, what was available free to wear and, and, you know, probably hence the role of, of Television New Zealand in that uh, situation as well. But, you know, really Sky was the place that you had to go to buy content. And, yeah, Satellite Dish and so on, it was, uh, you know, it was a whole different era in many ways, although well, there was no, still today even the, the, movie the Satellite studios Dish weren't is direct still to part mar- of that. The movie studios weren't direct to market, mm, right? Mm. But if you, think about, if you think about how we access our content now, we buy the content directly off the studio. That didn't exist at the time. Disney didn't have a service. You couldn't buy Marvel, you know, Paramount, HBO, there was really no direct-to-consumer option at the time, and, and now there is. So what we were seeing was New Zealand trying to stave off of this international competition that was going to come whether or not we liked it or not. And often I think that's the problem that we have as New Zealand businesses. We don't recognise that we're operating in an international market. We don't recognise that these disruptions occurring they are occurring all the time. For us, they're almost like a, a, a non-event. If we're not 
if we're not involved in them, we can't see them occurring. Mm. And as I say, disruption occurs from somebody outside the industry looking at the, the way the industry needs to change and then coming at it from a new solution where they have none of the, the bias or none of the existing mindset associated with how things should operate. They often don't have the same cost base, right? So when you talk about disrupting yourself, you can disrupt yourself, but you don't have to maintain that existing business. And that's why disruption is occurring all the time, because somebody with a new way of doing things without the incumbency of the existing cost of infrastructure can come about it from a new approach. Now, when it comes to um, you know this sort of very, very digital uh, disruption, there tends to be a much lower cost to entry, right? And, you know, so we see that with, say, you know, if we, if we look at the content consumption uh, today in New mm. Zealand, the role of uh, YouTube, Netflix, TikTok, yeah, et cetera, um, yeah, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fair bit there, you know, compared to what our consumption habits were, you know, a decade ago. It, I mean, it is just, it's massively changed. Um, but in large part enabled because of those sort of, you know, lower cost to entry of, of those players. Um, but we've got other areas that haven't been, you know, disrupted yet to the same degree. We look at our, um, well, if you, if you look at the US, for instance, and the role of uh, Amazon within the, the e-commerce world, um, yeah, they're, they're just so big and so, so dominant. Uh, yet here in New Zealand, we, we've only just got a very small taste of that, right? <laughs> um, but I think yeah. we, need, we need to be, you know, prepared as a country for, you know, for what comes next. And, and there are, lo- you know, lots of different ways that these, things, uh, that these things can, you know, can actually play out, right? Um, but because it's it's not it's not so easy, you know, we haven't been hit with the same levels of disruption. But when we you know when we look at at New Zealand and, and where we spend our money at a at a retail level, um, I think it's going to be a very different story in a, in another decade to you know to where it is now and the local entities that we buy off. Not that they're all all New Zealand uh, owned by 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 a long shot. And certainly, if you look at uh, Fast food, it's it's you know, big international players and the uh, the local, you know, corner fish and chip shops and and things that that, that used to be the the norm, uh, you know, when I was growing up, you know, we we have seen significant change, um, and yeah, it there's there's a level of kind of you know for for me anyway concern around how you know how do we make sure going forward. Um, that actually there there are there is room for those sort of local entities to play out, which you know we look at from an entertainment perspective now. Um, yeah, it's it's very very different to what it was, you know, pre ultra fast broadband, and and it will continue to, uh, you know, the I guess things will continue to get disrupted by the international players, right? Yeah, uh, and this is going to keep happening in, in in different areas unless we can we can you know, really innovate and come up with, with good things. And to me, part of the solution also is is accepting that there are going to be some areas where the local offerings will be largely disrupted, but that's okay because we will innovate in other areas uh, and and we'll go out to the world with, with disruptive 
uh, you know, um, innovations that will that will be good for for New Zealand and our broader success. Yeah, I'm. I mean, the first, I think the just coming back to the beginning of what you were saying, disruption isn't about technology enabling something. Disruption is a mindset. It's the ability to recognise what needs to change in the status quo and then go about taking an action that requires you to be vulnerable to know that you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And so I don't agree that disruption is about a minimum technology enablement. Yes, you have to have some basic general knowledge and basic specialised knowledge. But for me, I can look at a team of people and tell you that they are going to be disrupted based on how that team is functioning. And I can look at a business and I can tell you at what point in time or where that business will be disrupted because they're not willing to change the status quo. It is, it, it is, it's possible to see these things, but they're not technology things, they're people things. They're the way that people approach their organisation where they're not willing to change the way that they work. So I don't, I yeah, don't agree it, it, that it's... Yeah, uh, it is yeah. often to do with business models and innovative ways of, of operating. Um, however, the technology piece is so often part of the picture as well, isn't it? And you know, there have been a lot of disruptions that wouldn't have necessarily been able to occur you know, without the changes of technology or not in the way that they did play out anyway. I agree. And, and you, you talked about Amazon and... I spend quite a lot of time in the US. My my wife is from Texas and ironically managed the merger of Whole Foods into Amazon, so has reported into to Jeff Bezos for a pretty large acquisition. Yeah, so I have some wow. I have some pretty pretty interesting insights into that organization. You you walk through Silicon Valley and see the driverless cars. You know, there's an expectation of same day delivery from Amazon and it's a phenomenal service. It is it is consumption at its highest. Do I agree? Do I agree with the value system of, of Amazon? And, and do I think that consumerism is what we need to encourage in New Zealand? Probably not. Um, I think that you know the future of business is to do good. The future of business is to is to be local. And as we actually look at where the world's going, you know, some of the things that are important to me now are around, you know, making sure that we we have an economy in the future as we cost in carbon to all of our business goods and services. You know, New Zealand's in a pretty dire situation now when we export a lot of food. And if you think about the UK and consumer choices, they're expecting on UK shelves to see the carbon footprint of their goods and services. Right? Consumers are getting the data at the point of purchase to determine, do I want to buy this product or not based on what I can see in its supply chain? We want to know that the people that we're buying off are, are caring for their staff and that are caring for their environment. So I, I don't think Amazon's a really good example of what a business should aim for in New Zealand. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. Ab absolutely. But I but I, I mean, I use that one, you know, among, amongst others. Um, you know, we've obviously got, you know, Costco that are, mm -hmm. you know, in the market. We've got you know, I care about to land. I mean, we have a big change in in that retail landscape Agreed. in the in the years ahead. And you know, I, I sometimes sort of you know ponder the question of, well, in one direction, you know, we 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 seed most of 
retail to big, massive mm-hmm. global players. In in the other direction, um, you know, we we innovate, we come up with new ideas and 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 new things and take them out to the to the world from a retail perspective. Um, I'm, you know, in terms of what actually plays out, you know, it'll probably be, it'll be a bit, you know, a bit of a mix. And, you know, I hope that, um, that we are able to innovate in that, in that particular, uh, area. But even, New if, is, even if we yeah. don't, there are, there are all sorts of other areas that we can go out and, uh, and succeed at, right? New Zealand is incredible at building global niches, mm-hmm. doing one thing that's highly specialized very, very, very well. And, but we don't we often don't have a global mindset and we don't traditionally have a propensity to take risk you know if you think about why silicon valley or why why israel it's because what we've got is capital that's being circulated and cycled in through that's happened over generations of entrepreneurs who have become investors who have continued to put capital in and and it's not a i be very clear i'm not criticizing new zealand's capital markets but our, you know, our angel investor networks are putting, a, 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 you know, they're they're taking a quite a significant risk if they put, you know, two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand into a business, and, you know, if you look at me as an entrepreneur, in you know, you could say, well, actually, I wouldn't back you because you took a risk and you you lost everything. So, if you if I have a conversation with somebody out of the states and I say, well, I've been sued by New Zealand's media companies, they go, oh, you must have done something, right? <laughs> You know, yeah, so yeah. we've still got we've still got a lot to learn when it comes to how do we choose the things that we're going to invest in. And right now, a lot of our investors look at investing in software. They look at investing in software as a service. And let's be honest, software as a service was new in 2013. So, you know, if we're going to be competing internationally, we have to take a real close look at what we're really strong at and what could we do that could have massive worldwide scale if we were to do it in New Zealand based on our policy environment. Yeah, and look, you know, fortunately we've we've you know we don't have a an incredibly large population, but we we seem to be a good, you know, a good place for um for innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think the old um you know Kiwi ingenuity thing is 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 alive and 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 well, um, but so you, you know, know I, I think that I think I disagree I, with you. I think that well, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I see it. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think there's there's room for a variety of things, right, yeah. in terms of our, our future and how we how we you know shore up New Zealand's future. Um, you know where export revenues come, you know from mm. in the in the years ahead. Um, obviously, there's some areas that are. You know that we look at the numbers and we think, okay, well, if we double down on that and we we grow that, that's going to work out quite well. Um, there are other areas where there isn't necessarily a whole lot of data, and you can go, oh, look at the numbers. That's exactly, um, you know, where where we should be. You're obviously working in a in an area at the moment, which is, you know, I would I would say, um, you know, it's kind of from out outside looking in, it's probably you know hard for for people to know whether they should bet on some of the things you're involved in, right? It's We're looking at systems level change for the water industry, looking at trying to build a circular economy uh, and emissions reform, things that are very grounded in deep tech and science and I think probably the biggest challenge that I've ever tried to take on. Uh, but 
the same logic exists. New Zealand is full of duopoly businesses and the same exists in the waste sector. Um, but I want to come back to this idea of being number eight wired. And I, Paul, I'll challenge you on that because can I tell you that when in the networks and the, the, the people that I associate with, when they come to New Zealand, they don't feel it's innovative. They come in and they see a, a view, which is if it's not being done here, then it's not relevant. Right. And, and, you know, I was on the call with an investor this morning where he said, well, you know, you're involved in the government space. And my core concern is if they don't think it's their idea, then they won't back in they'll shut it down. <laughs> so the spaces that I play in, I, I would say that I don't think, I think we were innovative. Mm. I think we had to be at one point in time. But I wonder how much of that we've lost, and that that's the convert. That's that's how I that's how I currently feel about it. I do wonder how willing we are to change the status quo because, as a small country in our tall poppies syndrome, we we fundamentally don't want to push too much in case we offend somebody. We fundamentally sometimes won't say what we mean because of the fact we don't want to offend that person. So. I, I, from where I sit, I don't think we have that number eight wide innovation as much as we would like to think we do. Yeah, interesting. And look, I, I don't know how you, um, you know, how you, how you, me how you measure that, and how you know, other than you know, financial outputs and you Product know, area, productivity areas where we're is, going. Is really the, Pro productivity yeah. is a shocker in this. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, country, so you right? know, there's some pretty so, good evidence yeah, to yeah. pretty good evidence to support that we're we're not that productive. Right, relative, relative to our, relative to our neighbours, mm. but we, what we, what we do have, is the ability to progress conversations. What New Zealand's incredible at is the ability to have that, that farm side, across the post conversation around. If you think about farmers, you know they, they are cooperative, they're not competitive, because they share information and knowledge. And one of the characteristics I see of true disruption is 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 two companies that would traditionally been seen as compete, competing, looking to change the status quo to create a new market. And you know, one of the things I think New Zealand has done incredibly well is put biodiversity and well-being at the core of our financial system. So we have amazing opportunities in New Zealand if we're to look at what does our place look like in the world. Because we are really innovative in some things where we talk about equality, where we talk about, you know, the ability to prioritize mental health, where we talk about workers' rights, where we talk about, you know, at its core, you know, the Treaty of Waitangi and co-governance and what that really means. We are one of the first countries in the world to make a maonga in a river and give them personhood rights, give the rights that people have under legal protection to a river or a mountain. It's very forward thinking. So we, we do have spaces of innovation, mm, but, mm. but I would argue that they're not traditionally inside of a corporation and that we've kind of lost that edge that we, that we once had because we were constrained and resource constrained. So, you know, I'm open to having that discussion, but just, just from where I sit, I don't, I don't see what we're doing as particularly forward thinking. Mm. We often say if it's not been done here, that it won't work. And if it's been from overseas, then, well, actually, that's not relevant. And that's that's what I see in, a, in the industry that I work in at the moment, mm, which is the waste mm, industry. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, 
often, um, you know, we, we look at some of the uh, the numbers and, and the stats that come through from uh, Technology Investment Network and, and how our, you know, our tech exports and our, you know, mm. our most innovative exports are, you know, are growing at a, at a pace. But then you put that beside uh, where we are from a productivity perspective. And I guess my, um, the sort of simple way I, you know, I tend to break that down is that, you know, look, we're 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 doing increasingly, uh, you know, better when it comes to, uh, you know, on the tech and innovation exports. Mm. But then, how we apply, um, you know, I, I I guess you know what I'll often sort of lump in as a, as a futurist mindset, um, you know, an approach to and a commitment to to innovation uh, and change uh, to our our normal you know, day-to-day business mm. is is where, you know, I tend to see where we're lacking the most, right? I agree. So it's like you look over there, boy, we're doing well, look at zero, look at this, look at that. Um, oh, there's some good ones coming through over here. And then you turn turn back to to, to look at the day-to-day, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, to a degree we should, you know, bury our heads in shame because, yeah, our productivity is is, is just so poor. So, yeah, look, I, I mean, we've, we, we have plenty of opportunities ahead. Um, we're probably just about just about out of out of time. So it would be interesting to hear a little bit, you know, more about, you know, where, where to from here in terms of your thoughts for New Zealand um, and, and a little bit, of, um, you know, more around um, um, your, your business and, and, you know, we, we think that that will go next. Yeah, well, something that I'm really passionate about at the moment is creating zero waste infrastructure. Uh, New Zealand has traditionally treated its land like a landfill, um, we have actually no consistent water standard across New Zealand, and I think many people will be aware of three waters but not really understand what it is. Uh, and so for us at the moment, what we're trying to build is a fair and equitable system that creates zero waste and takes your human waste, takes your poo, and then turns it into energy. That sounds like a good idea. I can't think of too many better things to do with it. <laughs> well, right now we put it into ponds next to the ocean, which are susceptible to sea level rise, and put it into big bags on the side of the road. In fact, most of the most of the effluent that we have is discharged directly into our waterways. So we don't really do very good things with it at the moment. So yeah, and and look, yeah, our our population is uh, in New Zealand, you know, generally isn't in decline. So. These issues get bigger if we don't come up with some smarter smarter approaches, right? Yeah. I mean, the big problem that we've got is as we modernise our water infrastructure to create stricter what we call discharge standards so that we don't directly discharge uh, industrial effluent or or our human waste into the ocean. You know, I don't know why New Zealand decided that, that, that it was acceptable that we had to boil water in Canterbury. I don't know why Aucklanders decided that it was acceptable that we wouldn't go for a swim in the beach after the rain. I don't. Where were those conversations? What are those conversations? Why are we not having those conversations at the dinner table? That that we can no now longer use our own water for our own livelihood. It just to me, it just didn't make sense. So when it came to the work that we're doing, we're going to build this new water infrastructure. The government is going through a reform to, to make it happen. It's it's actually really important. Um, 
But if we build this new infrastructure, we have to pay for it somehow. And if we're going to build new infrastructure, we need to power it. And right now, New Zealand has a 60% clean energy shortfall. So, and what are we going to do if we create all of this new byproduct from these water systems? What are we going to do with it? We're going to put it into landfill? That's what we currently do. So, so our idea is to take that poo and then mix it with our food waste. Now, you know, uh, if you live in Auckland, you would have seen a, a little compost bin show up outside your house lately. I've, I've heard about those. I don't think I've seen one yet, but, yep. uh, but I know it's, it's coming, yeah. So what we're saying is, well, we've got this, this poo that's going into our wastewater system and we've got this food waste which we're trying to take out of landfills. Why don't we put them into the one system? If we put them into one system, what that means is we can increase the amount of energy that comes from those waste streams. If we treat poo on its own and we treat the food waste on its own, it's not that effective. The food waste doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it. And when we mix those two things together, we can increase the energy by around 400%. And that actually we can export back to the wastewater treatment plant so we can provide the power for that new infrastructure. Sounds like a good move. It does sound like a good move. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Well, we'll look forward to sort of following following the journey and uh, and and seeing how that how that goes. But uh, yeah, we've we've definitely got a lot of challenges in this country, mm. and we need we need to be you know picking them off and um, you know getting getting them addressed. And look, if if we can apply the you know the same sort of mindset and and thinking um, you know that that has led to disruption in, in other areas and we mm. can you know bring a positive change to the country, then uh, that sounds good. And then if we can take it and export it to the world, um, even better, right? Totally agree. I think the reality is, is that there's, there's nothing that we can't achieve if we're willing to take a different perspective, to, to, to learn about agile thinking, to learn about the frameworks that we can use for these innovative environments. I don't believe that every business should be in chaos to create novel environments, but creating sandpits that are safe to fail, creating environments where you can have vulnerable conversations with your executive and your shareholders and your investors, being able to be authentic in the workplace. If we take on some of these characteristics of being human in the workplace, I absolutely believe that we can be and change the way that our world works. Awesome. Well, thank you, Matthew Jackson. Great to have you on the show. Um, anyone wants to get in touch, what's the best way to, to find you? Elementary.systems is our website, but feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and no doubt we'll put all of those profiles in the uh, the notes of the show. Yeah, we will indeed. Excellent. Uh, well, yeah, thank you again. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us on the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, this week. We will, of course, be back again next week. Um, and a big thank you to our show partners, to Gorilla Technology, uh, HP, Spark NZ, two degrees, and one NZ. All right, cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.